best thing about them is they they love football they love the game they're excited they want to be at nebraska i would walk out almost every house and say you know we got the chance to win a lot of games with kids like this coming to the program welcome to the go big redcast the husker fan sports show with dave honky mac and boomer welcome to the go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Husker Nation welcomes all the new red shirts, gray shirts, blue shirts, and future black shirts. We're glad you decided to hop aboard the Frost Train and become part of the greatest turnaround in college football this century. Go Big Red! Alright, I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? We continue our Kings of the Offseason record. Uh, <laughs> rebuilding the hype as, as soon as the season's over. It's pretty impressive what the staff can do, but... You know, 10 four-stars will do that to you. (laughs) And also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to ask listeners that I really don't think you should evaluate our podcast in the short term, but I think if you give us a 25 to 50-year period, I think this is going to turn out to be a very competitive (laughs) podcast. So please please hang with us here. That's right. It's it's all about a long-term fix. Max Point was a very good beginning to the holiday season with National Signing Day uh, delivering – a very solid top 20 recruiting class uh, for Nebraska and Scott Frost. Uh, we do seem to win the offseason uh, quite well almost every year, and uh, that was no different this week. Uh, guys, uh, you know, we're going to run down both offense and defense, but, you know, Hockey, this was a situation where a couple weeks ago, obviously after the Iowa game, a lot of angst about how the season turns out and uh, a lot of frustration, some of it shared on this show, <laughs> But uh, the coaching staff went to work and uh, took a a class that seemed to be uh, you know troublesome, I guess maybe you know with uh, only maybe thirteen or so recruits. And over the last couple of weeks, and especially on signing day, brought in uh, some pretty talented players. Uh, you just want to give a quick overview on uh, what you saw the coaching staff accomplish uh, over the last few weeks? Yeah, I just think overall as a class, it's a very balanced class. Whether that means local and national kids it was kind of the right blend of that uh they brought in some freshmen they brought in some juco's where they needed to and let's not forget about the walk-on element of this too i think that it's just a really well-rounded class it builds off of the previous class that they uh they brought in a year ago so i think that kind of consistency year over year we keep doing this that's gonna lead to some very good things down the future but you know no different than what we talked about last week at the end of the day it's going to have to start leading to some wins, right? And that's the thing is is this is the hype time of the year. The guys that come in, oh, they're all four stars and they're all right. instant contributors. And then all of a sudden you hit August and and then the narrative is, that well, they that you got to give them time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, some of these guys, you know, we're going to be counting on them. And, and as we talk about them, there are guys that are going to be counted on to play next year. And there's other guys that, you know, have a little bit more time to kind of develop into the role. You know, Hawk, you talk a lot about roster management, and uh, there's a chance that some of these guys can play early, but we are stacking classes together, right, Mac? And you just mentioned that we got 10 four-stars on signing day, and we've had uh, a similar number, maybe eight or nine last year, starting to build that depth of talent across the board, and uh, eventually that should start uh, paying dividends, right? I know people get frustrated when they people like us will tout recruiting class numbers and we'll, we'll hold them up against Iowa and Wisconsin and everything like that. And they'll, they'll point to wins, which they certainly should. But the reality is 
we have to start somewhere. It's like we certainly need these classes to get over that hump as we develop them. So, I mean, it's fantastic news. It, it kind of goes, flies in the face of what you might think. But we've maintained a, a lot of recruiting momentum in, in the face of some very bad seasons. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a good sign. I mean, it's like we said, once we start winning, who knows? Well, but- and, and it is about this is just the starting point, right? And the reality is, is that the success of this class isn't based off of the stars yesterday. It's going to be how many stick around right. and what they do from this point forward. Because that's where the Iowas and Wisconsin's have been beating us. Right. But we have consistency started now, Dave. Frost is here. No, we're not concerned about any coaches leaving or anything like that. So we've got a good foundation, a good base, and they're bringing in the right guys, I think. No, I think you're right there. Boomer, I know you uh, say recruiting isn't your strong suit, but I'm going to ask you to do a little research as we do the show tonight. Uh, let's use rivals if you... You know, since uh, Honky and, and Mac are rivals, guys, if you could just look up maybe not only the re- previous recruiting class rankings, but also how many four stars we got and how many of those guys are actually, you know, actually stay with the program. Because so I do think we are recruiting at a higher clip at that higher talent level. And to Honky's point, the question is, how well do we retain those players and then ultimately develop them? Because at the end of the day, if we're developing four star guys, as well as Iowa is developing three-star guys and Wisconsin developing three-star guys, we should be able to beat them on the field at some point. Yep. Let's dive right into this recruiting segment uh, brought to you by Plowboys Barbecue. You getting cold this winter? Then warm up your soul by getting your ass to Plowboys, the award-winning Kansas City barbecue that is now in Lincoln. Brisket, pulled pork, baby back ribs, barbecue nachos, burnt ends, and more. Call ahead and pick up your order or pull up a chair and pair that meal with a frothy mug of beer. You can find us located inside of Berries on 9th Street. Now delivering to your home and office. And party planners, sit back, relax, and let us cater your next event as you win over the love and respect of your friends, family, and co-workers. Feel that winter heat with a plate full of mouth-watering meat. At Plowboys Championship Barbecue. Tell them the Redcast sent you and receive a free high five. Hell yeah. Just uh, raw numbers, Honky. How many uh, guys did we have signed? So we had 23 scholarship players and we had 19 walk-ons. So 42 new guys have been added to the team here over the course of the last 24 hours. And that includes Betts, who technically, this is Thursday night as we're recording it, but on Friday, uh, it sounds like he'll yes. be signing. Yeah, let's start with that, actually, because he was one of the very early commits. And uh, Xavier Betts out of Bellevue West, uh, there were some questions about his academic uh, eligibility, but it seems like he's straightened that out. Uh, Scott Frost actually said him, told him it was okay to sign, so he's signing here on, on Friday, which is exciting for him uh, to be able to be a part of this class right away. And another very early signee or or commit, I should say, was Logan Smothers, right? And so, mm-hmm. Mac, you want to talk a little bit about Logan Smothers and what's he walking into with that deep QB room? He's probably coming into one of the deepest rooms on campus and, and some guys who with some proven playmaking ability. But Logan Smothers, like you said, he was the first, was he, wasn't he the first commitment of this class? Yep. And he has remained solid. You haven't heard a peep out of him even taking visits or going anyplace else. So those are the guys you actually tend to forget about. The ones that get here early and are no drama. And then, then you look back at his season, had an amazing season, super productive, showed toughness towards the end of the, in his playoff run. He broke some ribs and came back in and played. Coach's son, all the things you love, elite speed. He's like a, a sub, what, a 10-8, somewhere in that range for a 100-meter dash. This kid's, this kid's something special. And, you know, we're kind of getting spoiled at that position, this recruiting 
there's three years in a row now that they've got their top guy and he's perfectly suited for the offense they want to run. So yeah, great news on that one. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. It sounds like an elite runner, uh, probably someone that can work on his throwing skills and that's what, uh, Mario Verduzco is good at. So that's, that's good to hear. It is uh, interesting to see. Eventually the, the odds tell us that one of these guys may not be with us throughout their entire career. Um, we're just going to find out, you know, how that plays out, but that's how you want a, the depth of a, a room to, to develop, right? So that's that's great to hear. You know, it's a crowded room right now. That can change quick. You never know what's going to happen uh, through injury or anything else. Uh, but we're going to play the best guy at every single position, and, and people get caught up on quarterback competitions. Uh, there's a competition every day at every position, and all those guys are going to get a chance to, to show what they can do, and um, we're thrilled to have all of them on our team. Uh, speaking of depth in a position, the wide receiver positions probably changed the most in a very short amount of time, right, Honky? I mean, we have talked at length about having playmakers out there, you know, extend the field, uh, help out JD and, and Wandell, and, and give targets for whoever's playing quarterback, and they definitely met that need in this class. Five scholarship wide receivers, uh, but you could also include a walk-on like Ty Hahn, uh, from Johnson, Nebraska, I think he's, you know, he's basically one of those blue shirt kind of guys. They've added a lot to that room, including Han, who's 6'2". And if you look at Betts and if you look at Manning, who are 6'3", each, they got some size. They definitely got some speed out of the group, too. From a roster management standpoint, they needed to fill in some gaps. If you look at the, the roster, we have a kind of a spreadsheet up of, in front of us. There's only one other junior eligible receiver mm-hmm. on the team right now. It's Javon McQuitty. And there's only one senior, J- J.D. Spillman. There's only one sophomore, Wandell. So getting an older guy in there like Manning really filled a gap in addition to the fact that we needed size. And just being honest, when we came in as coaching staff, we really only had four wide receivers on scholarship. We usually carried 10 or 11. So that was the position just by numbers that we kind of had to rebuild. Feel good about this class and where it's going to take us. Omar, I'm really excited about. There wasn't a better guy in the country, in my opinion, uh, for what we were looking for than him. He looks different than anybody I've ever coached and uh, has tape to match. So uh, I'm really excited to get him. Uh, he's got a little work to do yet before he gets to campus, but uh, I think he has a chance to, to change our offense. And then you bring in all these freshmen that supplements with Darian Chase and Nance and Houston were a year ago, and those all basically become like new players for us this year since they're coming off a redshirt. And that room looks totally different than it did just, you know, a month ago. And if you had any area of concern with the wide receiver group, because I totally agree, they hit their spots and they did improve it with some size, which was something everybody identified. It, it's a little disappointing that none of the tall guys are going to be early enrollees, you yeah. know, so they'll get here in the fall. And so there'll be some time to catch up. And, you know, we've been a little burned by playing the, I can't wait till this Juco gets yeah. here, but it is what it is. I mean, if those guys can produce, you know, Alante Brown's the only wide receiver going to be here early. And mm-hmm. then, so we're going to be counting on a lot of similar size guys in the spring to kind of get going. So we really won't see that until really till the season starts, you know, so that'll be interesting, but you can't argue the athlete, the athletes they got yeah. and, and the size that they've added. Well, and my point earlier about, you know, right now we've heard a lot about Omar Manning and he's, oh, he's a day one starter and right. he's an instant contributor. <laughs> one guy I was listening to yesterday said he might be a one and done. And this sure. would be the we've moment. We've had so many of them. Well, this is the moment with the hype, which is I hope everything they're saying is correct. Yep. All I'm getting at is let's be consistent. Let's not say one thing in December and then when August comes around and people are excited about Omar and and if he happens to struggle because he's a new player to the system, totally understandable. 
I, I don't want those same people that right now are saying he's a one and done all of a sudden to say, well, you got to be patient. You got to, <laughs> don't expect too much out of him too quick. You know, right. I love how sometimes we change our tune between December and, and August, but my gosh, he obviously, he's a great talent and he fits a need and, and uh, I'm excited to see him out there. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Honk. Uh, you know, from a position standpoint, Mac, you would think that a wide receiver should be able to come in and learn the playbook well enough to contribute right away. I don't know why that hasn't always happened with us. I agree with you, but at the same time, Jerome Woodyard and Mike Williams have been here for two years yeah. and not doing anything. Last year, Jamie Nance was here for spring ball at a position of need throughout the season, and he still never saw the field that much. So, yes, I don't know what the holdup is. I hope that's something that changes going forward. But, you know, until we see it on the field, it's just names on paper right now. Yeah, and as we're looking at this paper, Mac, I mean, Manning isn't like a lot of the other JUCOs that we brought in. He's a two-for-two. There is no – I mean, we weren't going to retro him anyways, but, I mean, he was brought in to play for two years. So, yeah, we we need to maximize every game that he's going to be out here. Absolutely. All right, other potential playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Let's look at running back really quick. We've got two good ones there that have been in the boat for quite a while. Uh, Sevian Morrison out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, I believe. And then uh, Marvin Scott, right, Mac? Uh, mm-hmm. What do you know about these guys? I'd probably just echo what you know, Coach Frost said the other day. Sevian, he's that, that kind of complete home run hitting back. He's got good size. He's about a six foot, 190 range. You know, it'd be interesting when he gets here to see what his frame would probably carry, but he's, he's had a hugely productive high school career down in Oklahoma. Um, and, a, and another guy that stuck with us this whole time just, and his stock continued to rise as the season went. Mm-hmm. Savion's a complete back. You know, I think at times this year, uh, if we were going to run certain plays in our offense, we wanted one guy out there. And if we were going to do other things, we needed another guy out there. And uh, it makes life a lot easier as a play caller if one guy can do all those things. And, and Savion's that type of running back, uh, catches it well, runs it well, has speed, can run between the tackles with his size. So uh, he's really an all-around guy. You go to Marvin Scott, he's a little bit smaller, a little more compact. But, you know, if you're listening to Frost, he's talking about him specifically, saying he's ready to go. And, I mean, those are the kind of things you kind of – my ears perk up for. If Frost isolates a guy that maybe nobody's talking about, that's something to, that's something to look out for. And, and the fact is that room's pretty open because – we don't know what we have with Ronald Tompkins. Uh, Ramir, you know, he played sparingly. And then you got you got Mills. Now, who knows what, what happens with Washington today, but I'm not going to count on that. You know, Marvin Scott seems like uh, someone that might be built to be able to play early. And uh, you're right, without Tompkins and, and the knee issues, we don't really know how healthy he is yet. I really hope he is healthy because we want uh, competition in that running back room, right? And and depth behind Mills, right, Honky? We, we had issues mm-hmm. with not having another power back back there. So whether it's Tompkins or Scott that can maybe fill in right away and giving some quality carries behind Dietrich Mills, that's going to be a big part going forward next year. Yeah, I mean, as I'm looking at the roster right now, the only listed junior or sophomore that's a running back right now is Jalen Bradley. And right now we don't have much to base off of him to think that he's going to be much of a contributor. So there's a big gap between Mills and the Tompkins, Johnson, Marvin Scott, and Sevian Morrison classes of freshmen and redshirt freshmen. So, yep. you know, that's where Washington not being here, that's where it affects us. We have that gap. So we are going to be asking for young guys, either redshirt freshmen or true freshmen, to be filling in. Uh, again, behind Mills. But I feel really good about Mills coming back, number one. I just think he left the season, left off really well. 
I think he's going to be primed to, to take off and kind of have an Azigbo type of year next year. That's what I'm kind of counting on him for. Uh, as far as the, the recruiting class, Mac did a great job talking about the two scholarship guys. I do want to highlight one walk-on that we got, uh, Trevin Lubin uh, from Wahoo. I mean, I watched the guy play against our alma mater, uh, mm-hmm. Skoda's. Like four or five touchdowns. I think he had another four or five in the Class C championship game. This is a good player, and I don't know if he's going to be a running back in college or if he transitions over to a linebacker or who knows how you know what they'll do with him. But he's a football player, mm-hmm. and he's one of those guys. Is let's just watch him develop. But he was a, a a good player that certainly could have been in at one of those Dakota schools or Northwest Missouri states in the past. So again, the walk on program is as strong as ever. Mm-hmm. Really like this walk-on class. I mentioned two guys, but there's a lot of guys from around the state and around the area that are uh, coming here as walk-ons, and uh, I think this might be as good a class as we've had since we've been here. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's talk about that offensive line. One of the premier signees was uh, Turner Cochran, a uh, O lineman out of uh, Kansas, very highly regarded. Right, hockey. A lot of guy, a lot of teams were after him. He uh, committed to Nebraska early and stuck with us the whole time. Yeah, and another example of how I love how this class is balanced. You know, mm-hmm. in the same time that we get seven players from Florida, we go down to Kansas and take a kid away from less miles. I think I looked at it about the fourth best recruiting class in the Big 12. Oh, wow. And, you know, K-State has a new staff in there. I, I, none of that matters. We went right into there and took a top 100 player out of the state. Uh, the O-line was not a position of need as much as it was a year ago, where as we're looking at it, you know, we have six redshirt freshman scholarship players uh, on the O-line. So this year we only took the two, both Kansas kids, Turner Corcoran and Alex Kahn. But yeah, Corcoran, he has great size to go along with this. I mean, we're looking at 6'6", 285. This is a year backing up uh, Bryce Benhart a year ago, uh, another top 100 tackle. Next year, we already have Prochaska from uh, Elkhorn, another top 100 tackle. So again, you can see a class building off of a class building off of a class. As we just keep sticking with it, I mean, you can see how this can start to work out here mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. You say it's our third recruiting class. The, the tough part about the first recruiting class is we had about three weeks to recruit it, and I think we did really well in some areas and, and missed on some other things and did the best we could in a short amount of time. But this is really the second class we've had where we've had a whole year to work and make sure we're getting the right guys and, and people that fit us. And I think between guys we got in that first class and, and these last two classes we put together, it, it's really starting to look like it needs to look from a talent perspective. Yeah, you know, Hawk, it's a really good point of how we're building depth, uh, really high quality depth, uh, on the, in the trenches, which is something we really need to do. And we're getting it, uh, within that 500 mile radius. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boomer, uh, have you got any numbers on me on, uh, four stars like Turner, uh, Cochran and Bryce Benhart? Well, last year, according to Rivals, we ended up with, uh, 11 four stars out of that class. Uh, 2018, our numbers were nine. So definitely, you know, trending the right direction on that end. Uh, 2017 was only seven. So, you know, just like Disco Stu says, if these trends continue, hey. So, right. <laughs> that was Riley's last year right yeah that would have been riley's last year yeah so we had seven so what do you have the year before that we had four in 2016 dave so yeah you can definitely see it's been trending upwards for a while so and then if we go back to 2015 uh that was six in 20 in uh 2015 but we only had a class of 21 it wasn't a highly rated class it was uh ranked 31st that year so it was pretty right and if you keep on going back to to bow there's also you know some years where we only have three or four i I just want to 
illustrates a point here that, that there's been a narrative that, well, you know, Riley recruited pretty well and Bo was recruiting pretty well and Frost maybe just a little bit better. And I think that, uh, again, the key is retaining these guys at Frost first class, even though he had nine, I think, you know, half of those four stars have, have left. And that's a challenge with that transition class. But if you start recruiting, you know, 10 or 11 four stars per year, opposed to three or four, eventually that talent is going to make a difference. Sometimes those classes are not a big difference, but the, the high end talent, I think, is different. And that is an important fact that Frost is recruiting at a level that we haven't seen since Callahan. Yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the teams that recruit, you know, double digit four star talent recently, I mean, I'm just kind of looking down the list from this year. I mean, Notre Dame has nine, Auburn has 10. Uh, you know, Oregon only has eight. Granted, they have a, a five-star here and there, but those are the kind of numbers you need if you want to be competing with those sort of teams that are regularly competing for conference championships and regularly competing, you know, for shots at playoffs and things like that. And that, that's kind of my general approach to recruiting. I don't worry too much about, you know, player this or, you know, who's grabbed what hat. You know, I like to take that 20,000-foot yeah. view. Let's see trends over four or five, six years. And if you're trending mm-hmm. in that positive direction, you know, we were in the you know, the 20s, the upper 20s, you know, and the end of Bo's years, early, you know, early Riley years. Now where we're at, we're drifting towards the teens, and you need to start seeing yourself consistently year in and year out in that 15 to higher bracket to really be a competitive team season in and out. And we're trending that direction, and that's what we need to see moving forward. I would make the argument that we don't need to do anything different than what we did this class. And if that class ends up 18th or 12th or 20th, I don't really care the final number. These are the kinds of classes that if you back them up one over another over another, they have the right blend of local and national. There are 19 walk-ons that you add into that mix too. That builds into depth. That's the formula that works at Nebraska. And so while recruiting rankings matter somewhat, I'd rather be 15th than 25th. I don't stick to any rule that we need to be top 10 or we need to be top 15. We just need to be getting the guys that we're that we want to go after and we continue to do that. When we pinpoint a quarterback, we've gotten that quarterback. When we've wanted that offensive tackle, we've gotten them. We've gotten a lot of these top guys on our list. If we keep doing that, I mean, recruiting rankings be damned, we're going to be in good shape. Well, it's funny too. We talk about this like we have to go out of state to get these high-ranking guys. Well, this class is Top two recruits are in the 500-mile radius. One of them's homegrown in bets. And yeah. next year, it looks like the same thing. Prohaska is going to be the, the top recruit probably within the 500-mile radius. He could be a potential five-star. So, yeah, and I mean, Dickinson, Dickinson too. Yeah, you know, so while it's cool that we're able to go out and do this, you're starting to see a little homegrown talent sort of rise up, and maybe that changes the rankings. I mean, a five-star on our, on our class right now could boost us. I don't know how many extra points because they get some sort of stupid bump. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point, Mac. Uh, there's been a question of, you know, what's the ceiling for Nebraska from a recruiting perspective? I listened to Hell Varsity Radio today, and uh, they had Gary DiNardo on from BTN. Especially the states and the schools like Nebraska where they don't have a lot of in-state talent and they go south. Years past before the early signing, some of those SEC schools could just continue to recruit yep. guys in case they lost them. Now they can't continue to recruit them because they're already signed. Right. And he's like, you know, I mean, I think they could start recruiting into a, a top 10 type level. And to hockey's point, I don't know if it's really important what the number is, but reality is we've just done this at five and seven and a four and eight before that, right? And a four and eight before that. So once we start actually winning, manifesting in wins, uh, the recruiting could slide up just because of a, a few other pieces to Max's point of maybe a, a five star here or there suddenly delivers a top 15. 
uh, class. And that's what you're looking for. Statistically speaking, to Boomer's point, if you're going to compete for the playoff, you, most teams that do that are top 15 classes. Well, we had a question in our Plowboys barbecue and a Twitter inbox from Redcast Rob, and he said, with the recruiting class as by far the best in years, what kind of expectations <laughs> does this put on next year's team? Uh, Boomer, I think you were kind of already answering that there. Uh, you know, what kind of expectations does a class like this uh, do for you? You have to kind of look at it in two different ways. Uh, you know, you have to separate the fact that most of these players, you know, aren't going to step right in and have an immediate impact. I mean, they're young kids, they're freshmen, the majority of them. So you can't really expect, you know, them all to step in and all of a sudden they're all competing for regular playing time. So we have to be realistic on that. And, you know, there are some players we do expect to come in and hopefully have an immediate impact like Omar Manning. You hope to see him, you know, on the field and producing right away. Uh, but I think what it does is it builds that fan excitement again. And it does put, I guess, some degree of pressure on the, on the team to succeed because we've talked about how, you know, we're able to recruit like this even though we've been unsuccessful generally speaking on the field that you know four or five wins a year and i think players do eventually want to see us going forward you know that we're kind of still relying on you know frost was successful at ucf he's got those connections there and players do want to go to places where they do see a chance for success and i think this is a big opportunity for a team to say okay we you know players have trusted us when we were down now we've had a chance to grow and develop and now look at us hey we're at seven eight wins and now we're really getting momentum going it's a great opportunity to take this momentum that we have from this recruiting class and just really start getting that ball rolling moving forward so it is kind of an important season in that aspect i mean if you only go out and win another four games five games then like we talked about in our uh, you know loud noises show that's when you do start getting questions about, do we need to make changes in staffs? Do we need to shake something up? Do we need to switch, you know, defensive systems or whatever? And that can totally alter recruiting and players and who we have. So this is an important season in that aspect. You know, I, I mean, it is one of our, our best classes. I don't know if it's the best. I mean, last year's class was pretty similar. In fact, it might be actually ended up being a little bit higher ranked. I looked at that class, and I think at least for, for rivals, they end up including – um uh, Keem Green on there, which is that extra four star that we wouldn't have had on signing day that that was folded into that class. So um, we might have one of those, right? We still have February. There could be one or two more uh, folk uh, guys that join the team or even uh, a late season transfer out of the portal. So uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Okay, well, before we head over to defense, Dave, we had one other question uh, that came in from Law, Politics, and Football. He won our uh, you know, regular season pick'em contest. Uh, he said, "My recruiting question is: You're going to give us at least some thoughts on the Adrian Martinez surgery news, right?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, that has nothing to do with recruiting. Thank you very much, law, politics, <laughs> and football. But uh, what we do know from Frost, I, I think the kid's a trooper for battling through what he battled through this year. I mean, he's not alone. Several other guys were gutting things out and and fighting for the team. That's football. You know, I've had seven surgeries as a football player, and you come back healthier and better every time you get one. And uh, I think uh, a lot of those guys play will improve when they're 100% healthy. Everybody that had surgery, I think, will be ready for spring ball. So what we know is that obviously there was injury mm-hmm. to not just Martinez, but there were other guys. And what he did talk about is that anyone that had surgeries, he thinks they're going to be all ready by spring ball. Huge. So exactly. to have a full 
roster of players for spring ball, Mac. When we go to the coaches clinic again and get yeah. to watch that, yep. I mean, that's going to be huge to actually see a lot of these guys in action in spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we were all kind of expecting to hear Adrian had some kind of injury, and he just he just confirmed what we all thought. I mean, Adrian looked slower. He looked hurt. He never ripped the ball. You know, you hear surgery, either shoulder, knee, maybe both. But who cares? If he's ready to go in spring, that's fine. All I really wanted at a quarterback position next year, going into next year, is a wide-open competition yep. where everybody's healthy. I want Adrian to be as good as he can be to go because he's probably the best quarterback we have, you know. But just as long as everybody's healthy and we get a good, good, clean look at that position, mm-hmm. that's all I need. Yeah, I think it's great that it'll be healthy for spring, too, right? I was concerned about the surgery not having him in there for spring and then really only having that competition in August. So at least this way there's a um, kind of two different periods of evaluation that that coaching staff can really see the entire QB room go at it. So good stuff. It's time to throw the bones. All right. Well, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, recruiting day actually provided some drama. We had a very interesting situation down in South Florida with uh, Jaden Francois, a cornerback, uh, I believe, uh, down there in uh, South Dade. And uh, Honky, did you get a chance to watch uh, a very interesting Periscope uh, video of his uh, high school signing there? I caught the last two minutes maybe of it so just enough to so where you didn't he, watch the whole hour like some no did. <laughs> no he, i just i got a screenshot of him standing up and you know tearing mm-hmm. open the shirt and having the huskers <laughs> under it so we posted that up and had hundreds and hundreds of likes on that which was nice but um no it sounded like he you know he was a back and forth and kind of the the old-fashioned dirty dirty yeah. recruiting play and now miami fans and press apparently hate you know, hate us and whatever. Yeah, Who Boomer, cares? you you were catching some of the Miami uh, like sports writers and fans claiming that Nebraska is paying some of these guys off, et cetera. It seemed to be a pretty pretty extreme from a, a Hurricane fan base. Right? Yeah, that was you know a whole pot kettle black thing, you know, to its finest. And if there are Oscar <laughs> Bagman out there, and if you do want to sponsor a podcast, we are available. So uh, <laughs> you can just DM us privately later, so we can work on. Yes, yeah, so we'll yeah, take. We your will money. shape a narrative, no problem. <laughs> Well, you know, I think why uh, the Miami Hurricane fans were so angry is that we did have a lot of success down in Florida, and one of the the main reasons we had that success this year was the presence of Travis Fisher on the coaching staff. Yeah, T-Fish, I got to tell you, every year there's a a superstar on our staff in recruiting. This year, he's one of the top guys. Uh, He has a lot of relationships down in Florida from his time there, uh, both in North Florida where he grew up and, and down south where he's recruited for a long time. Um, he knocked it out of the park this year, and that's really valuable for a football team to have a coach that, that can go out of state like that and, and bring in the type of talent that he brought in. The uh, defensive backs coach, uh, who is a Florida native and obviously was on the UCF staff, had a lot of success uh, getting some really key uh, commits, uh, not only Jaden Francois, but also I think he had a role in Marcus Fleming on the offensive side of the ball, Henry Gray, probably Marvin Scott. Uh Mac, uh, you know, what do you think about uh, Travis Fisher's role this year in the recruiting process? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, last year there was kind of a disappointment about how few Florida commits we got, and it was sort of Ryan Held's big year. And this year you kind of 
you see the the importance of a guy like Travis Fisher to go down there and just cherry pick out some real elite talent and use those relationships that he's had and the time he spent down there to to get guys to try something new and come up here. And you know, he's he doesn't tweet much. He tweets about twice. And once was when he's when he pretty much must have went down there and landed all these guys and was going to like, hey, Husker fans are going to be happy about this. And the other time was to tell the Miami writer that, hey, I'm going to stay here and coach these guys. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's I think we've said about this about him on this show before. He's becoming one of my favorite assistant coaches. He's just a straight shooter. You know, I li- and I like the kind of um, athletes he's recruiting mm-hmm. long mean hitters you know we're gonna have some hitters in that secondary and we just added a whole bunch more we got some you know some early enrollees out of that all about the same size man it's it's kind of crazy what he wouldn't didn't floor this year that's big well and it's also i don't want to get too big on like oh my gosh now we have to get seven out of florida next year or seven out of the next sometimes you just take advantage of what each Absolutely. year gives you 100 percent. um last year i don't think we had any florida guys this year seven and Hey, Miami's going through their issues. Florida State's going through their issues. And if we take advantage of it, you know, good on us. And next year, maybe it's we go down to Texas and get five guys. Who knows? Each year is going to be a little different. But what I know about what he did is when I think of going into Florida to get players, Dave, what position group do you think? Yeah, I mean, you want DBs, you want wide receivers, running backs, maybe a, a big, fast linebacker as well, right? That's exactly what you're – we're not. we shouldn't be going down there to get offensive guards. And, you know, we, we're getting the right players from the right parts of the country. You know, recruiting in Florida for a long time, there's some kids that I don't think it serves them well to leave the state. There's others that probably the best thing in the world for them is to get out of there and, and go be their own man somewhere else. I think we did a good job identifying the, the kids that would be willing to go out of state. And then several guys on our coaching staff, especially Coach Fish, did a good job making it happen. It's the thing that drove me crazy in the Riley years that we would sell out to try to get a five-star tackle from the West Coast. And it's like, my gosh, we've got we, we've flown over 100 tackles in this area to get there, right? But we're not flying over 100 defensive backs to get down to Florida. That is that is the place to go and get a lot of those guys. So we're going into the right areas. We are getting the right types of players, and we're adding speed there. I mean, this is a great class in that regard to get – uh, that secondary really boosted up from a, from a depth standpoint. I mean, to add that to what we brought in last year with Newsom and Wright and Farmer and Pola Gates, that is two he solid really liked, years. He really liked this class last year. Yeah. You know, and, and this class looks just as good. You talk about stacking classes. Oh, oh my smokes. goodness. Yeah. The secondary seems to be well set up. And then to Max's point about uh, Fisher and just liking everything he's doing, I mean, he – has already proven that he can develop talent. I mean, look at what he's done with Lamar Jackson in two years and mm-hmm. turning that around. Mm-hmm. So if he has that type of developmental success with, with some of these guys, we could have a really great secondary here, and that's that's going to be great. Yeah, and think about that, Dave. That's not just selling playing time now to a guy. When Lamar gets you know drafted in the second round or third round, you know, hopefully, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed, now he can sell – that to a player too. Yeah. I mean, he can also sell Mike Hughes a couple years ago with the UCF, sure. but to be able to sell a Lamar Jackson as a success story, that feels a lot better to me than just saying, Hey, come here because everybody can play. Cause you know, we don't have, you know, uh, every starting position's open. Eventually that well runs dry mm-hmm. and you have to be able to, to sell something other than playing time. And quite honestly on the D, but in the defensive backfield right now, 
I'm impressed what he got because I don't think he can just sell playing time right now. Position. He brought in four defensive backs last yeah. year, and as you said, Mac, he really likes them, and they didn't play. Not much. Nope. Yeah. No, it's really Which good speaks point. to the development side of his coaching, Correct. too. So, it's, I mean, that's kind of important to note because yeah. he was recruiting at a high level, but he was also taking the guys we had, Boodle and Lamar and, and Dismuke, and, and making them – Good enough that his high-level freshman couldn't beat him out. That's yep. that's a big deal, man. Give us a couple more years, uh, not to quote Bill Moose, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> but that will get exciting as it goes. Yeah. Uh, well, let's uh, keep on working our way a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, let's go to the linebackers and start with the inside. And uh, another one of those Florida kids, Keyshawn Green. This sounds like a pretty special uh, inside linebacker talent uh, with uh, size and speed. I think getting Keyshawn Green out of Florida really helped solidify what we got there. You know, we got Va from California. Thought we needed to add a little depth to the inside linebacker room. He's really a run and hit guy that that we're excited about. I have no doubt he's going to help our football team. Keyshawn is an unusual athlete. When you watch his tape, just his ability to close to the football and make plays is pretty special. That was a tough get, and he came up to Lincoln last weekend and fell in love with it and is anxious to get back. Outside linebacker is definitely a position that we wanted to address. Kind of started this whole thing off with Blaze Gunnarsson from Iowa. And huge compliment, but if I have a son, I do have a son. So someday, someday I... Someday I hope he's as big as Blaze, but I also hope he's that good a kid. So we're excited about him. Nico Cooper's a just a specimen of an outside linebacker that we think could play in a lot of different places for us and, and help out with pass rush. Uh, and then Jamari Butler's another kid that we got late from Alabama. Another kid that when you walk in with the room with him, uh, you can see the the potential there. And his tape's really good too, and and he shows a lot of ability to get after the quarterback. So uh, we felt like we needed to improve ourselves in that area, and uh, really like who we got. Yeah, I would say the overall haul of linebackers in this class. If there was one area of the entire team, even more so than wide receiver, where they said we need to add bodies to this team, it is definitely at the linebacker, inside and outside. We're looking at the roster here, and they brought in one new junior. And, Dave, you're going to have to help me with the name, Etiva Mauga. I blow all these. What is it? I think it just goes by Va, Va Moiga Clements. Yeah, Va is for the best for you. mercy with that. So he's a junior. Uh, Nico Cooper comes in basically as a sophomore standing three for three years to play. I'm going to include in this a guy that actually transferred here last year and had to sit out last season, but Zach Schlager, mm. he's essentially a sophomore. He's the, the Colorado state transfer. Uh, he's a walk on this spring, but he's a guy that has D one experience, add him into the mix. And then you bring in Keyshawn green, you bring in blaze Gunnarsson, you bring in Jamari Butler, Isaac Gifford, um, probably would f- fall into an outside yeah. linebacker role. I mean, that's a lot of new bodies into that room. That's a lot of competition. And that's in addition to the Jameen Grahams, Jackson Hannas, Nick Heinrichs, and Garrett Snodgrasses who are coming off redshirt years. That area, the linebacker spot, is going to look completely night and day different than it did a year ago. And that was one of the biggest voids they had uh, roster-wise coming in right when they took over, is the linebacker position, right? So they have to rebuild that mm-hmm. entirely, and uh, they're getting there. You know, Now these guys need to get on campus, develop, and mm-hmm. really start filling in those roles, and maybe we start seeing some pass rushers come out of it as well. Yeah, and speaking of getting on campus, Gifford, Gunnarsson, and Va, <laughs> those three are going to be here in spring. So, again, it's just when you add that to Graham and Hannah and Heinrich and Snodgrass, mm. I think that – that area 
I've already got the practice in my head, you know, looking at those linebacker group. It's going to look totally different. Yeah. You know, Mac, uh, one outside linebacker we did miss on, and I, I think there is some debate on whether we moved on or, or Caden Johnson moved on from us, but uh, we did uh, miss out on our early signing day there where Caden Johnson from Minnesota went to Wisconsin. And that's one of those things where I don't, I don't see us always competing versus Iowa versus some guys, maybe because they're a 4-3 and we're a 3-4, but this is a, a classic 3-4 outside linebacker that seemed to be really high in Nebraska for a long time. Right after Scott Frost had went down and, and got Omar Manning to commit in Texas, he went up to Minnesota and had a similar conversation with Caden Johnson. Nothing happened of it. I thought it was curious that right afterwards, then suddenly we had uh, someone like Nico Cooper and Jamari Butler commit to us. And then sure enough, uh, you know, on Wednesday morning, uh, Caden Johnson did not sign. Any thoughts on, on how that all played out? You know, as the day goes on, you get kind of greedy with these recruiting stars, especially if you got some momentum. And that one, like that, that seemed like, like you said, Dave, I felt pretty good about him going into say signing week, but then there started to be, there started to be some whispers that he might be a, a lean someplace else. It did sound like, listen, the staff wasn't had to send out a lot of letters in tent. They weren't sure who all was going to sign. It sounded like they needed him to make a choice sooner than maybe he wanted to. And, and they took another guy, you know, it's one of the rare occasions where you felt like this is a guy that they seem to put a lot of resources in and, and you missed on him. And that, that part's a little disappointing, but I mean, it's, it's hard to complain. They, what I like about that, yes, we put a lot of resources in, and yes, we missed him, but that was not the only option at that position. We we did, yeah. or they did a good enough job of of securing some some other options so that one guy didn't kill you by missing. That's him. the thing. We've had too many classes in the past. Riley and Pelini specifically come to mind on this, where you put all your eggs in one basket on one player at a position, and then that player, for whatever reason, doesn't come here. Mm-hmm. And you're just caught with your pants down, right? Mm-hmm. And and that wasn't the case here. We were going to get a number of linebackers, and specifically outside linebackers. We were going to get f- full mm-hmm. in this class, whether Caden Johnson was a part of that or not. Only bad thing about that is he went to Wisconsin, and we're going to going to see him you know, for the next four years. And you know, hopefully, we uh, end up having better production out of our outside linebackers than uh, what Wisconsin does, but. Um, it's just how the recruiting game goes. We won a few against Wisconsin this year. I, I think another player that Wisconsin probably was going after would have been uh, Nash Hutmacher out of South Dakota, right, Honk? And that was someone that did commit to us early and uh, stayed with that commitment. And uh, he fits right into that wheelhouse of what you want to see with a, a big D lineman from the 500-mile radius, right? Yeah, absolutely. As I look at the the defensive tackle or the nose tackle position on the on the roster here, we basically had one returning player on the entire team that's listed as a nose tackle, and that's Damian Daniels as a junior. Now, there's a bunch of these DNs, you know, a uh, Ty Robinson or a Keen Green. There's guys that could play nose tackle, but only one of them was listed as the actual position. So, what did they do in this class? They bring in Jordan Riley, a junior college. Uh, nose tackle to add that depth at that level. And then they bring in, as you mentioned, Nash Hutmacher, the polar bear, and they bring in Marquise Black uh, from Georgia. So what we have is 
two different types of nose tackles in there. And, and I mean, one's kind of the SEC style and one is the, the Big Ten dude, right? And that's the balance of this class again. It's bringing in different players, but they all you know, fill a different type of role. We're, we're adding guys to different classes so that we can start to balance the positions out. I mean, that's really an impressive job by this staff to kill two birds with one stone. Well, Honky, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the D-line there. You mentioned Marquise Black. Uh, we have uh, the Polar Bear, you know, building up depth there. Do you feel like some of those guys are just destined for red shirts, uh, or do you feel like maybe they have a, a potential to contribute early? You know, I would think if we're really reaching that culture that we want to reach on the on the line specifically, O-line and D-line, those guys are probably going to be redshirt dudes. Bringing in Jordan Riley and Fidarius Payne, two junior college guys, those are guys that I could imagine playing immediately, playing next year, adding depth. But we also add Ty Robinson and Masai Newsom as redshirt freshmen onto the D-line as full-time contributors, right? I mean, last year they were only going to get four games at most. Tate Wilderman and Casey Rogers, those guys are sophomore dudes that are going to fill in some role. DeAndre Thomas, Keen Green, Ben Stilley, Damian Daniels, Chris Walker. There's just a lot of guys that have been in this program now for multiple seasons. And so um, I think the world of getting Nash and, and Marquise Black, but I think that those are guys that, you know, they'll they'll – be served well by if they end up redshirting, they'll be served well by that. I don't know how much more weight Nash could lift, though. Have you, <laughs> have you seen this guy's videos? I mean, it's I, what are you? He's like Atlas. They just keep stacking weight on him. It's, I'm almost concerned. Well, you know, I asked. <laughs> we asked the question on Twitter. Uh, we go pick one name from each side of the ball who you're most excited to see September 1st versus Purdue. A lot of people were saying Omar and Corcoran, Omar and Nash. But uh, we had uh, Kim Halverson said, my grandson, Nash. That is awesome. Grandpa Kim, uh, I hope you're listening here. Uh, that, that's awesome. We're excited to see Nash out there, too, whether it's against Purdue next season. or. And Honky apologizes if he ever calls Nash Hut Nashmacher in the future. All right. Hut, whether it's Hut Nashmacher or, you know, if it's Jaden Francois, uh, <laughs> Blase Gunnarsson. Don't even, don't even try to get me on the uh, TV. What was, yeah. yeah. You know what? I just call you guys Huskers and future Blackshirts. How about that? That's what I'll call you. Uh, or Polar Bear for that one in particular. I love the Polar Bear. Awesome. Great go. nickname. Very cool. All right. Great stuff. Um, well, Boomer, you know, we haven't talked special teams uh, much yet, and I don't think we have any scholarships going out to special teams, but there was a, you know, we did get some some walk-on uh, kicker, right, and a long snapper potentially, right? Yeah, I think the the big thing I was interested in was the was the kicker, Chase Contreras. I mean, there was no question we all were disappointed by special teams this year for a variety of reasons, and we saw how important that was throughout the season. Uh, Chase uh, is a uh, you know from Iowa Western, so hopefully you know he he had a good season last year there, so hopefully he'll be able to come in and you know if he doesn't play right away, at least push you know Pickering. You know it's always good to have that challenge there to it. All about competition, right? Yeah, it is all about competition. Yeah, and we've talked about Iowa Western before that that is by far the closest junior college to campus here, and one that we have not really had any connection to, and they've been a highly successful program now for the last yeah. ten years. And if that opens up any kind of pipeline that, whether it's, you know, kicker or whatever the position, that's great. But, yeah, I, I agree, Boomer, just bringing him in and just adding to the competition. I, we need to find a kicker that can kick the ball into the end zone. Yes. 
Well, I think if we kind of do a, a forward-looking question now, this came from Jeremy uh, in Minnesota uh, via our Plowboys Barbecue and A inbox, and he said, uh, looking forward, what would you say is our biggest need in recruiting in this offseason? So, you know, we're just done here now. Mac, I'm going to kind of ask this to you first. We're looking at the roster here in front of us. Do you see any gaps in any maybe positions offensively, defensively, where where you can see a, a need? I mean, the first one that jumps out to me is, and we talked about it a little bit before, but running back, and particularly maybe like a Juco route, just to kind of fill that. We don't know what Ronald Tompkins is, but we do know Ramir Johnson isn't a big back. Um, and, and the other two guys that are freshmen. So, I mean, yeah, because Mills is graduating yeah. at the end of next season. So if season. we could go out there and get, you know, a sturdy, you know, a pretty good Juco running back, that's be something I'd be really interested in. Yeah, because right now we do not have a sophomore eligible running back on scholarship. And we, and we only have one junior and it's Jalen Bradley. Unless, of course, Maurice came back. That is not something that we're necessarily. Yeah, well, expecting. I mean, that changes. That my changes everything. A lot, but, but actually not really. We'd still need kind of that back, even yeah. with Mo. Uh, Dave, is there a, a kind of a position that you're looking at from, again, offense, defense? Is there a position you're looking at to fill this next year? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, actually, when I looked at that spreadsheet that you had, Honky, what stood out to me was the, the small, currently sophomore class, will be junior class, where we only have, even by adding a, a like a couple of the, the transfers, maybe 12, 12, 10 to 12 guys in that class, that's a mm-hmm. really small senior class if it would stay that size. So I would expect next year that just to balance that out, we're going to add a couple more JUCOs at least, get that class up to 15 or 16, and mm-hmm. um, just for roster management purposes. Yeah, I absolutely agree there, Dave. And and that is something that when you look at the transition that we had from Riley to, to uh, Frost, you kind of have a two-year gap in, in recruiting that can be affected by that. The last class of, of Riley and the first class of Frost. And that's where we're seeing it. Right now in the sophomore and the junior classes, we are a little bit thin there. We're going to get to a point in this program where we're not probably going to look to sign very many. We'll look to sign a, a junior college player if they're a great player and if we need have a need at the position. We kind of felt like we needed a little immediate help at certain spots, receiver being one and maybe pass rusher. So we went out and got some guys I think the lesson we've learned over time as coaches is we have to make sure we're getting the right guys from the junior college ranks too and love the character and personality of the kids we got. The junior class got built up this year by Va, Jordan Riley, Payne, and Omar Manning. That's four guys getting added to that, and and it kind of needed it. The sophomore class, to your point, needs it too. There is no quarterback. There's no running back. There's no tight end, no defensive tackle, no safety in there. Um, So – a year from now, it's not it's not a concern right now, but a year from now, I can definitely see some JUCOs filling in a gap there. Uh, Boomer, do you have any uh, position? Well, of need? I guess I was just kind of analyzing the spreadsheet as well. The day you know the way Dave was talking about, and there's just a a gap on the defensive tackle end of things. I mean, we've got you know Damian Daniels and Jordan Riley, you know, as as juniors, and then no sophomores, no redshirt freshmen. And you're counting on you know a couple of freshmen after that, and mm-hmm. you know if you have an injury in one of the one or two of those you know players, I mean that's just a massive loss of depth in that position, and and you know D tackle is important. The the roster that we're looking at is based off of the scholarship players right now, plus right. some of the new walk on kind of blue shirt guys. Basically, we're looking at a roster here that has about 88 players listed on it. Obviously, this 
entire team is going to be closer to 160. So there's a whole nother team that's not even on the list that we're looking at. And hopefully those, some of those players can start to fill some of these gaps too, just, just from a depth perspective. But to that point about, you know, the sophomore class, Dave, that's what I look at towards next season. I, I'll, for me to throw out a couple positions, I'll say tight end number one. After you lose Jack Stoll next year, you basically would have Allen and Raftall and that Travis Vokalek from Rutgers. Nice. They would be seniors a year from now. And then you have nobody else currently on the roster other than Chris Hickman, who would be a sophomore at that point. So that's a position where, you know, a year from now you could see him filling in with maybe a Juco and maybe a freshman. And then the other thing is safety. Before we got Jaden Francois. Nice. All right, well done. <laughs> a roll. Before we got that, all we had was some senior guys, Deontay Williams, Tony Butler, and Dismuke, and then we had redshirt freshmen, Miles Farmer and Noah Gates, and mm-hmm. nobody else, no sophomores, no juniors, and no true freshmen until Francois came here. So, again, and, you know, it's the defensive backfield. They might move some corners to safeties and Cam Taylor Britt. Yeah, that's kind of a hard one to know. Yeah, a lot of these positions, you know, guys can – it's the same thing with D-end and D-tackle. But the point is – this is what you're looking at. We talk so much about roster management. This is, it's a science, man. You've got, you're paying somebody, mm-hmm. you know, some analyst on, you know, is looking at this all the time and saying, how do we make sure we balance out our classes and make sure that we're not overloaded and, you know, at one position in this class and, and, and not, you know, and underloaded in the portal. And you got to, I mean, it's, it is pretty. Yeah. The portal, they, they, non-stop. Frost talked about still keeping a couple of positions open. For things potentially like a late ad or a, a transfer portal guy too. All right, good breakdown there, Hunk. I think that's really important to keep that that roster management conversation because a lot of people get excited about this new class, but all overall, it's, it's the entire roster, the depth of each position uh, that ultimately can lead to to victories, right? So, all right, Hunky, anything else you want to cover on uh, football right now? The last question I, I have here that I'm going to ask is from uh, the Keg. And he asked about, so how many of these new recruits will actually be on campus next month already? And by the count that we've read and everything, uh, nine scholarship guys, mm-hmm. uh, Logan Smothers, uh, Alante Brown, Turner Corcoran, uh, Blaze Gunnerson, Henry Gray, Taman Lynham, uh, Jaden Francois, right. Jordan Riley, and Va <laughs> at go. linebacker. Those nine. And then Isaac Gifford is also going to be here on yep. campus. Uh, is that blue shirt. So 10 new guys will be here immediately, you know, contributing in spring practice. Yep, absolutely. All right. So a completely different uh, locker room there with all these, and plus the walk-ons, right, Honk? Once uh, August comes around, that's a lot of new players in there. Very young team still too, right? Uh, another thing you can take from looking at that roster is is still very young team. So hopefully they start to mature and uh, start seeing that development pay off. All right, well, let's uh, finish up our recruiting talk with uh, maybe uh, a simple question of uh, who's your favorite recruit out of this class and maybe that maybe that dark horse, that uh, undervalued recruit you think is going to really surprise us. Let's start with Mac. I'm most excited about – I'm honestly most excited about Betts uh, for a number of reasons. He's a homegrown kid. He fits that model of the, the bigger wide receiver. Um, honestly, if, if his grades wouldn't have been an issue right away, I mean, this, this level of talent coming out of the States kind of rare that this kind of height. And I mean, he went out and he dominated at those opens, his spark rating. He's like in the 99th percentile, athletically speaking. Um, plus you got to love a kid that has 
put in the work in the off season to get his grades up to the point where you know nobody was talking about him signing this period around, and and they've got enough good reports that he's that Frost is comfortable risking a scholarship to have him sign early. So super excited about him. Um, and underrated, you know that. The Jamari Butler from Alabama. I feel like he's one of those. He might have stole somebody there. He's he's a little raw, and people are gonna go. Alex Davis was raw, and he never got good. But Alex Davis went through like five five to twenty five coaches in this time here, and about you know a couple position changes, and then the, whatever. So that's not a great comparison, but athletically speaking, he hasn't been playing that long. But he's explosive, and maybe a guy you could teach to be a really good pass rusher. All right, hockey. The guy that I'm most excited to see is Blaze Gunnerson. And we talk a lot about the wide receiving uh, core, how unique it is to get Manning and Betts and guys at that size. But but Gunnerson's every bit that same kind of unique size at the outside linebacker spot. For him to come in at 6'6", 250, uh, you know, he, he brings a different you know body type to it. And on top of that, the other thing that makes him one of my favorite guys to get is he came right out of the state of Iowa. Yeah. And he was wanted by Iowa. And this is yet another season in a row that Frost not only has not lost anybody from Nebraska to Iowa, but we've gone in and grabbed somebody from it. So, uh, you know, a year ago that was Messiah Newsom. This year it's Gunnarsson. He already has a guy, Henry Lutovsky, uh, in the 2021 class from Mount Pleasant, Iowa. So mm-hmm. to be able to go into that neighboring state and take their players, I mean, that, that makes me extremely happy. Uh, as far as under the radar goes, it's not shocking that I'm going to go to the walk-on program oh, for it. Uh, I've seen Trevor Lubin play, the, the Wahoo kid, and he's just the kind of guy that I don't care if it's running back or if it's linebacker Maybe or it's a special teams safety, nightmare, a special you know? teams nightmare guy. Whatever it is, he is going to be a kid that um, he's going to give it his all here. He, he loves football. He had opportunities to play at other schools, and he turned down money. The thing that people said a couple years ago, no one will do anymore. Well, they won't do it if you don't ask. And this, <laughs> this staff has no problem asking, and they're getting these good kids to come here. All right, Boomer. I'd kind of like to see you know immediate production. I, Omar Manning. I just wide receiver has been a position we've needed somebody who can be that big difference maker, and that's that's a position where I think someone can step in and be that extra targets, and that'll make a huge difference for the offense next season. We just didn't have multiple targets. It seemed like in any given game, if it you know Spielman was there, you know Wandale was hurt, or if. One day it was there, Spielman disappeared. But if you had that other big outlet for the offense and we can really get things going with multiple options, multiple ways for our quarterback to do damage, I think it's just a great opportunity for our for the team to take a step forward. And, you know, as Honky had mentioned earlier, if, uh, if Omar Manning only happens to be a one-and-done, he's here for a year and going pro already, great. Because that's a thing you can sell with your program. Hey, you come here, we're putting guys in the NFL. That's something we haven't done with any regularity for quite a while now. So that just helps that whole momentum and the program build. I think for an underrated guy, uh, it was somebody Mac mentioned earlier. It's, and it was Logan Smothers. How he's just kind of quietly been forgotten. He signed early. There was no drama and it was just, okay, well, great. He's there. We've got depth of that position and we just kind of forgotten about him, but he's kind of one of those players that it's everything we always say we want in a quarterback. He's, you know, elusive. He's got mobility, and he can push everybody ahead of him as well, too. And it's just a great option for us to have. So I'm looking forward to see what he does in the future, too. All right. Well, you know, I probably would have took Omar Manning because I am I'm pretty excited about about his him being on the roster. But you know, another JUCO that I think could have an instant impact, maybe not in a starting role, but I think maybe uh, situationally, 
uh, is uh, Va Mauga Clement. Uh, if you've seen this guy's video, uh, he uh, really likes to hit uh, very fast uh, for an inside linebacker. And it's a, a curious uh, scenario. This is one of these ranking things where, as far as I could tell, he was not ranked at all by rivals or 24-7 until we actually uh, recruited him, and then he suddenly became a four-star. So um, it's always curious to see that. But I think he's a little bit raw. But um, I think physically ready to go, and I could see him having an immediate impact. Uh, under the radar, I'll go with uh, Will Nixon, actually. a uh, You know, the receiver out of Texas. His dad is offensive coordinator at Baylor. feel like a coach's son. Um, he might, and he's, he's got the speed. He might be able to contribute early just because his ability to acclimate to the college life and, and ready to go right away. Great pick. And now, Nebraska ball. All right, uh, Nebraska ball. You know, last week it was uh, pretty dire here on the Red Cast basketball wise. We're throwing jokes over to the team and uh, saying it was hopeless. But uh, you know, when uh, when it's the darkest, maybe uh, you know, daylight shows. And sure enough, uh, the team that couldn't hit a bright side of a barn and didn't know how to play defense or rebound, uh, suddenly enters Big Ten play and emerges as a competitive team. Boomer, what did we see there that changed everything? Uh, we go to Indiana last Friday night to uh, lose in overtime. I remember we were tweeting or texting, and um, and Honky's like, we're in overtime? And we're like, yeah, Honky, we're in overtime. Uh, we did not pull that one out, but... Uh, 48 hours later, not even that, back home in Pinnacle Bank, uh, the Huskers uh, took down Purdue, who was a team that beat uh, number five ranked Virginia not that long before. So what did you see differently in this team? Well, it's just been kind of utter chaos in the Big Ten just to start the the conference play. I I think, you know, if if you'd have asked us last time we recorded if we go into Indiana, oh, and oh, by the way, uh, you know, Gervais Green is going to be indefinitely suspended. What would we have thought would happen in the next couple of Big Ten games? I mean, we would have expected you know, just sheer disaster, I think, at that point. And it's just, I, I guess when you kind of look back at it, you know, we had that terrible first half against Creighton. And the yeah, second half, they played reasonably well. And then for some reason, they came out against Indiana and played really good ball. And then Purdue, I mean, good grief, they were up by, you know, 15, 17 points in that game. They found something that seems to be working. Guys are playing. You're getting. We had our first triple double in program history, which incredible to think about. It's what. Check the calendar, honky. What year is it? Yeah, it's uh, going to be 2020 in uh, 2020 here in about in a few days, and we finally had the program's first triple double. Cam, Matt, kudos to Cam. Yeah, I would uh, venture to guess. I haven't looked it up, but probably no other Power Five team has not had somebody with a triple double yet at this point. But, Boomer, yeah. Ice Cube messed around and hit a triple double. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, it's it, it's incredible. Just kind of what's happened the last couple of days and. The teams just kind of started putting things together. They're shooting better. We're still getting out-rebounded a bit, and that's to be expected again. We don't have the size that we would want, but you can kind of see those 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 flashes of what Hoiberg ball is going to be, and it really kind of adds some excitement to what this program can be going forward. That's right. I mean, I, I always thought the team was going to make a turnaround. I didn't know if it was going to be that quick. Honky, you didn't get a chance to uh, watch the Indiana game and Purdue games, uh, and you saw a different team, right? Well, and Boomer 
alluded to the different team, one of the, the factors was that we didn't have Dravet Green playing. And Dave, I was going to ask you this question. I don't know how much of an apples-to-apples apples comparison this is, but in the, the 2014 season that we had um, that went to the NCAA tournament with Miles, it actually took off after Devril Biggs was, you know, put on some type of suspension or kicked off the team. I can't remember exactly what it was. But what seemingly was a terrible move at the time, like, oh, my gosh, like we can't afford to lose this depth, turned out to be a great thing for the team. The team played its best ball after he was gone. Is that the case that we're in with, with Green right now? Or is it way too early to, to say? Or, But we we played our best two games without him on the court for whatever reason. No, I think it's a it's a good question, and um, it's going to be hard to answer. I, it doesn't seem like Gervais Green is going to be permanently suspended here. He has been uh, with the team, sitting on the bench, uh, appears that he could gain um, uh, back the trust of uh, Fred Horberg for whatever reason he's, he's uh, right now suspended and get back on the team. But it does line up where, you know, there's one less – uh, high volume shooter out there with green, uh, not eligible. And that does also put Thor into the starting lineup. And he, Thor, it, sometimes you need those glue guys and that just knows where to be and knows how to execute the offense. And it does feel like Thor is that type of guy. So I don't know if maybe if when green does come back, he starts as a six man and, and is interjected as a, uh, you know, score in that perspective, it might be a, an alternative because the starting five now seems like not only Thor, but Deshaun Burke is thriving in this uh, five man starting lineup. And that makes a big difference. I, I do think that, you know, I think the, the simple, you know, the, Hey, they're finally making shots. Uh, it's an easy thing to say that as Max sits over there and scrolls on his phone because it's so easy to make shots, right, Max? Um, I'd say that's the big difference in both games. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Listen, if they go cold from outside, forget about it because there's no presence down low and they're not out-rebounding anybody. But you keep telling yourself they made that turn. Well, it's not it, – it's it's they make the shots. That's a part of it. But it's also running and executing the offense that results in getting those open shots and – um, having that different lineup, it feels like it's making a difference, uh, right? And uh, once uh, you start making some shots, you feel more confidence. And Deshaun Burst are an example there. He was very confident in the Indiana game and, and buried a couple of key threes to get the get them in overtime. And, um, you know, it's a lot of that's mental. And a lot of it is actually executing the offense. I'll tell you what, uh, that cross kid, the freshman, he is – he has absolutely impressed me through the first month there. I mean, I, I had no expectations for him. And this kid, I've seen him make good plays on defense. I've seen him dribble the entire court and lead the yeah. the break. I mean, he is a talented guy. Um, he's improving his outside shooting. I know that he, he's been given the green light to shoot from the outside. And if he can, if he can hit at a higher rate from outside, holy smokes, that changes the whole... Yeah, if you could just hit low 30s even. I mean, that's exactly what we talked about last week with this matchup versus Purdue, and it actually came out uh, right away in the sense that uh, Cross did hit one, I believe, and he he brings out Matt Harms way out. Uh, it just causes matchup problems when your five is playing outside the the arc and can hit a shot or two. Or bring the ball mm-hmm. up to your point, Honk. And uh, we're going to see more and more of that. But yeah, Kevin Cross, uh, definitely a, a real pleasant surprise early in the season. Mm-hmm. And both Cross 
and uh, Oya Drago were more physical uh, defensively against Purdue and really were able mm-hmm. to body up uh, um, the Purdue big men. And it, you know, they still lost the rebounding battle, but it was a lot closer. And it, it yeah, seemed like just, they were challenged uh, by the coaching staff and they responded. Yeah, just a couple of rebound difference. And, and Purdue was the team, exactly the team that scared me the most against the lineup that we had and to see us have the amount of success that we had. And it wasn't a fluke. I mean, it was, well, it was consistent from start to finish that, that it, this team, Hoiberg even talked about that what won the game for us was a, a two or three, well, more like a four or five minute stretch where we weren't scoring, but our defense kept us in the game so that we didn't get down the double digits. A couple things on that. It was nice to see that, our team on defense made another team do something they weren't comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. But when those teams decided to just do that anyway, they still scored. So I, who knows if they can keep this up. But I thought the defensive effort was pretty good. They did a good job of dropping back so they couldn't get the ball inside. But when they pushed that, we didn't really have an answer for that. So the defensive side was just as impressive as the offensive side. But uh, it, it listen, it's going to be up and down season. It was fun to watch. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an up-down season in the Big Ten altogether. I mean, there was a stretch there after that game where I think uh, Michigan State was the only team at 1-0, Northwestern was 0-1, and everyone else was 1-1. So I think it's going to be a little bit of that in the Big Ten. Yeah, we tied for second or third? Well, a 12-team tie, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's something, you know, it's just part of the fun of this team. I mean, I think there's the only way this team really can go is up. I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, Yvonne – he hasn't turned out a ton of points, but I think he's got a lot of potential, and he's only going to get he's better. He's 17 years old. Yeah, he's 17, Boomer. and he's only averaging about, what, about five and a half points a game. He's he's going to get better. He's got talent. You can see it there. It's just not quite translating yet. So he's got a higher ceiling than what he's put out so far. And this team is just going to get better as the season goes on. It's it's fun to watch, and just enjoy it for what it is this year, Husker fans. And you know a fun kid to watch is Charlie Easley out there. And the walk-on from Lincoln getting out there and <laughs> and really like going toe to toe with Harms from Purdue. There was uh, some video on on Twitter I saw of him boxing him out, and I mean, my gosh, he was just annoying the heck out yeah. of out of a guy that's a foot taller and however many pounds more, and he doesn't care. Just tough nosed kid. I, Doc's earned his money with the D, man. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So, you know, going forward here, you know, it, like we said, it could be up and up and down. So there's no guarantees that this team's going to look as good as they did these last two games uh, for the next two even. That's against North Dakota this weekend. And then I think it's like uh, Texas Corpus Christi, I believe. And so you'd like to think those are two wins. Hopefully this team has learned well enough from losing to UC Riverside, who's actually, I think, seven and four and doing relatively well in, in Southern Utah or whatever it was that they uh, can at least win those two games. Maybe they're not, they look perfect, but uh, get those two wins. And then you have an interesting Big Ten start again, kind of the restart, where you have Rutgers, who's better, but you feel like it, that's at home, and I think you've got a, got a shot there. And then you've got an Iowa team that may not be as good as they have been in the past. And then Northwestern, who is probably the, uh, with Nebraska, probably perceived to be one of the lowest teams in the league. You have this weird situation here, sitting at one and one, where if you go two and one there, you you could be three and two five games into the Big Ten schedule. And I don't know, 
where that really takes you, but it's a heck of a lot better narrative than thinking that we're going to be 0-5. Yeah, and you really can't count on Rutgers for the next 25 to 50 years, Dave, so, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> They're yeah. a long-term yeah, play, Yeah, I mean, you, you had this peg great. I mean, you've got a couple winnable non-con games theoretically here. I mean, we've lost some bad non-con games, but the team seems to have a little bit of confidence now. They're starting to find that rhythm, and it's things are starting to make sense, I think, with the coaching staff, and they can win these. And you win those two games, you've got three winnable conference games, you win two of those, eh, heck, that's a great momentum builder. And one of you know one of the things we talked about with this team is just you've got multiple guys who are averaging you know double-digit points a game. I mean, if you go back to some of the teams that were good that we had in the past with you know the Petaway teams, the 2013, 14, 15 seasons, we only had a couple of players that were averaging double digits a game. We've got four or five guys that can do that now. So it's just opening up all these options. It's funner basketball to watch. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I, it is fun basketball to watch when it works, man. When you see them play against Purdue and they are pushing that ball up the, the court, I mean, they, they have a couple of unforced turnovers when they do that, but they also get layups and uh, they get a lot of transition buckets that previous Nebraska teams never would have even tried to, to get. And uh, there's never a dull moment with the Hoiberg offense, it feels like. All right, let's uh, head to the parting shots. Honky, take it away. First off, I, I want to give our condolences. We did on Twitter as well, but to Hawkeye Nation, uh, Hayden Fry, a, a legendary coach. Uh, it's always sad to see these guys that we grew up and when we were watching football in the 80s and 90s, it's sad to see those guys now pass on and what Hayden Fry meant to Iowa, he became the face of that state every bit the same that, you know, Devaney or Osborne did here. And it's kind of interesting because he came from Texas, you know, didn't have any connections or ties to that state prior to coaching there. And, you know, by the time he passed away, I mean, he was, again, the face of it. The coaching tree also, the legacy that he leaves is unmatched. I, I was looking up the number of uh, statues that have been built of coaches that were on his tree and Alvarez and Bill Snyder and Stoops. I mean, it is, that is so impressive. So, Anyways, it was sad to hear that. Uh, next, there was a great video that was on Twitter of uh, Jordan Burroughs, a uh, great Husker wrestler, uh, wrestling with his young son. And I, it just it was awesome to see. Um, but also, he before he goes and does like a little takedown with him, he makes sure that his son shakes his hand. So it's like <laughs> etiquette and technique, you know, very important. and uh, uh, But very cool to see that. And last but not least, you know, I know we were a little rough on our last show about, you know, Huskers needing to win and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it could always be worse. Uh, poor producer Skip, you could be a Colorado State fan right now and have Steve Adazio be your your new coach. So that's that's pretty rough there. You know, I think we're in some really good hands right now in Nebraska. Well, you could also have Patrick O'Brien as your starting quarterback, which producer Skip also has. So, uh, Boomer, <laughs> what do you got? Well, Honky kind of you know stole part of mine. I. I as much as we mock Iowa on here, we do want to give that condolences to them. I mean, it, it, it's not just Hayden Fry, but they also lost our athletic director, Bump Elliott, who, admit, who was the one who hired Hayden Fry this month. So it's kind of been, you know, one-two punch there for Iowa. I mean, when you think about what Hayden Fry did for that program, I mean, he was the one who kind of changed the uniforms and brought that black and gold Pittsburgh Steelers look to him And uh, the Iowa logo we're all familiar with was something they brought in when he was there. I mean... He was basically the the Devaney and Osborne tied into one for for Iowa, and just just want to give you our condolences. I mean, that's right, Iowa, Sean. We feel for you, man. Uh, Mac, take us out of here. 
Um, just want to wish all the Redcasters uh, happy holidays and safe travels. Uh, be careful with the eggnog out there, and if the roads are slick, you know, take a little extra time. Uh, and I, I guess Boomer would say, uh, do not uh, command the intersection on a yellow. He doesn't like that, so avoid. Yeah, that. don't don't go into the intersection on a yellow, folks. Just just wait for the green arrow. It's safer that way, and better for your insurance rates, I would imagine. All right, well, uh, Mac, that's absolutely right. Uh, I think this will be the Redcast holiday show. So for everyone out there, just really have a safe and happy holiday season. And uh, we'll be back on the Redcast in 2020. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. <laughs> <laughs>